0: Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. If you are a homeschool mama challenged by doubt, not sure if you can do this homeschool thing. If you are a homeschool mama challenged by overwhelm, there are just too many things to do. Or if you are a homeschool mama looking for connection and encouragement, then this is the podcast for you. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from CapturingTheCharmedLife.com and I'm here to encourage you in your homeschool journey. So let's turn our homeschool challenges into our homeschool charms. Today, I get to introduce you to Sarah Susanka. Sarah is a social innovator, an acclaimed architect, an agent of personal transformation, and author of the Not So Big series. Sarah Susanka has become the inspiration for a new way of understanding how we inhabit both our homes and our lives. She's the best-selling author of nine books, including The Not-So-Big House, Home by Design, and The Not-So-Big Life, that collectively weave together home and life design, teaching us that a not-so-big attitude serves not only architectural aims, but life goals as well. Through her writing, lectures, and workshops, we learn that a rich, full, satisfying life is readily within reach. Susanka explains that it's how we are in what we do, not the specific content of our lives that's important. There's no need for massive upheavals in everyday life to find meaning. Her credo is simple. When we look with the eyes of a student... Everything can teach us more about who and what we truly are. We just have to learn how to look. Welcome, Sarah. It is such a pleasure to officially meet you. Well, thank you, Teresa, and me, you. Your book, The Not-So-Big Life, Making Room for What Really Matters, is a book that I value immensely. It is well dog-eared, underlined, asterisk. <laughs> I've read it a half dozen times and um, I've probably quoted it all over the place. I've handed this book to many people. I've written about it. I've actually, you know, used the concepts or some of your things yeah. that you said in my book and I've included it in my five day vision challenge around new years. Your book is a big book. All about <laughs> life remodeling.
1: That's right. <laughs> I actually had one of the students that took one of my not so big life workshops at the end of it, say to me, you know, this is called the not so big life. But what I feel right now is this is about living a really big life, but an inferior life, you know, and it was just so cool to hear her say that because that's right. That's it.
0: So it's not a not so big
1: book. (laughs) exactly right it's, it's about really liberating that part of ourselves that always gets short shrift because we don't have time or we've got other things that need attention first or we put off and so this is really about finding the stuff that matters
0: would you tell the listeners how your book came
1: about oh absolutely well I had actually been an architect for a long time and when I was in high school, I really, really wanted to be a writer. And as I tell in the book, my dad had said to me, "You know, why don't you wait to go to writing school until you've got something to write about? Which at the time, of course, I was really mad. I did not (laughs) hear that. But in some ways it was good advice. It was certainly parentally sensible because he knew writers often were starving. artists (laughs) he didn't want that for his daughter and so I ended up going into architecture school which was my second love and uh, became very successful I went into residential architecture I loved working with individuals and I the part of it that I loved was getting to know them you know really learning how to extract the Um. qualities of home that they were looking for and then make a wonderful house for them But over the years, I realized it was very difficult to get them to understand that bigger is not better, right? So this is where the not so big language came from. I actually wrote a whole series of books called The Not So Big House that were about how to make your house better, but not bigger. But the only reason I could write those books was because I had started my own inner journey, which is what the not so big life is about. Right, And so it took me about another 11 years to really get to a place where I was ready to write that book about how to do your own inner remodeling Mm -hmm. to see through all of the obstacles we put in our way so that we can actually start living much more of our full potential and come into alignment with, who we are on the inside.
0: So that's the, that's the short version. It's about life remodeling. And that's exactly what I included as a quote right off the top is that <laughs> you said by implementing the plans as the remodeler of your own life, you'll find that in only a short period of time, the way you're living changes dramatically, there will be more light, more delight, more awareness of that beauty that surrounds you. And there will be more room to breathe and to engage in the things you really care about. That's it, you've said it. I said it. You said (laughs) it, (laughs) and I'm trying to live it, which is not always easy, but you really made time for who you really are. And that's actually what I encourage and invite homeschool mamas to do, to show up in their lives authentically, fully, to invest incredibly in their kids, to experience them, to facilitate their curiosities and help unravel that person that they really are and then let your hands off the reins and let them be and let that's them good. be too
1: that's right you know so often i know you um talk about this as well but we end up living a role yes. rather than understanding these are little humans who have incredible potential different than what we imagine yes it's never what we think in nope. fact it's almost guaranteed not to be <laughs> yes. what we think <laughs> And I've had four, and not one of them yeah. <laughs> were what I thought. That's right. But they, but they, when you can be authentic with them, which means you've learned how to be comfortable in your own skin, mm-hmm. and you can be with them human to human, even though you're the adult and you need to parent sometimes, yes. you are really f- helping to form this creature that already has its own expression. But you're giving it sort of uh, governance and, and some boundaries in which it can flourish.
0: That's right. And that is precisely the motto or the approach of a self-directed learning education, which is my passion. But, yeah. you know, I want to back up a bit and yeah. maybe back up all the way till the age seven. I don't know when you started writing, but I've been writing since seven. I actually wanted to be a doctor when I grew up. And yeah, me too. You said that as well. That's also yeah. my first graduated <laughs> daughter said that. And I'm actually married yeah. to a doctor. Yeah. And, and then I drew houses on paper and had dining rooms right next to the bathroom and random stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've built two houses. But um, so we have a lot of common interests. Oh, we do. I mean, I, it was you had
1: sent me some links to some of your yeah. blogs. And when I was always reading about your life, I was thinking, my gosh, this is like a version of me. I know. <laughs> it's the weirdest
0: feeling. I, know. I love that about this podcast world, <laughs> meeting some amazing people that I wouldn't meet in my backyard. I, but you know, funny enough, the most important or influential books in my life uh, were ones that when I walked into a big, you know, or a small bookstore... Mm-hmm. I would pick up a book and go, "Hmm, I wonder if that would be a good book to read this week." It right. was random, and that was your book, It was uh, the Not So Big Life, and it had a huge impact on me.
1: That's so wonderful. Yeah,
0: it's it's amazing how that's happened. You know, I,
1: I, because I'm I've written this book and it's been read by a lot of people. I hear versions of that story, and it's really. Astonishing to hear how people find it. One woman who I now work with as a student, she said the
0: book literally fell off the shelf onto the floor and she picked it up and said, I guess I'm supposed to read this. And wow, it, it really is a big book. I could spend hours chatting with you probably in each of your chapter yeah. titles. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I want to share with you, because this was my real experience, that I actually went through a period of where I wanted to simplify life. And you yeah. probably hear many versions of these stories. Right. But I went through this version of simplifying life, and I was trying to give away everything I owned, like my U2 Joshua Tree CD, which I totally regret giving away. And (laughs) we went on seven years of traveling and wandering around the world, and I think I was trying to find myself, really, or find who I really was. Um, My husband and I were were hiking with our four kids in the backwoods of nowhereland. It was very remote, and I just felt like such a closeness to this being just right present where we were and I said to him I want to live off grid with four kids an hour out of a small town just like here in the middle of nowhere no running water no electricity 500 square feet And he looked at me in his very analytical way. Are you aware (laughs) that when this house is built, we'll have three teenage girls? And the size of house you're suggesting is the size of our dining room. (laughs) (laughs) That was my version of simplifying. And yet reality, that obviously did not happen. I actually built a house that now has 500 square feet per person. (laughs) Right. Twice we considered selling everything when we were in Kenya, uh, rural Kenya, and once when we were in Venice, and it was all sell everything, travel for the rest of our lives. But I think I learned what my goal was: is to find myself and find out who I really was.
1: And that's a very common search that people go through. I did the same thing. I, I, you know, I don't have children of my own, yeah. but I lived in a tiny, tiny house at ninety-eight square feet for a while and it was wonderful I mean and I didn't I had all the I didn't have any electricity and I didn't have any running I did have running water but you know it was basic and I borrowed a friend's bathroom in the morning and you know it was just like and I grew everything I lived it for a while but what I also discovered was I wrote an article then called the simple life ain't so simple (laughs)
0: <laughs> I realized, you know, it looks simple, but this is really hard work. It is really hard work. In fact, people will say that we are presently we are on a homestead, so yeah. we are kind of um, self-sufficient is what the words people use, yeah. but it's right. not true at all because the only self-sufficiency I have um is to eat dandelions. And, you know, the basic things that come from the earth that require no fertilizer, because I don't have to go to the store to find fertilizer. I have chickens right now, Uh, but I have chickens that I need to go get bags of giant feed for that I don't raise on my own homestead. And I have electricity and I have running water and I have a very nice home. We don't even think about it. But, you know, in Kenya, I bet you knew. Oh, uh, yes.
1: It's a different world. And and to be completely self-sufficient
0: is an entirely different picture. Yeah, I like pepper and I like pineapple. And yes. those I could never grow. <laughs> Not so common in BC, right? <laughs> no, you can't find that at all where we are. One of the things that you said is that bigger isn't better. To slow down. And for, or at least that's what I took from what you yeah. said. To slow down. And to homeschool moms, I say to be in your homeschool life. Clearly right now for this hour, I am not. I'm with you and uh, my son is outside helping my husband set up a chick brooder because we're bringing more baby chicks. Wow, that's great. (laughs) But when you're present, you need to be all present, not just ticking off the boxes and not just doing what our cultural thing says about trying to create a perfect education or trying to create a perfect existence. Yes, it's not about perfection. Right. I mean, that's the that's the misunderstanding that
1: so many of us carry around this notion that it's supposed to look a certain way right and that's not the point the point is to be in the imperfection experience it completely and be authentically with whoever you're with or whether it's yourself or your child friends but to actually be be there in that moment and express what you are experiencing.
0: So what have you learned about that? I mean, when we try to do the be, mm-hmm. we, we work. Work. <laughs> learn a lot about things that don't work. Yes, yes. This takes so
1: long to impart, but maybe I can do a little taste for, for you and your listeners right now and I have a lot of my students are our parents. Um, none of them is homeschooling right now, but I've worked with the architectural clients who are homeschooling before. But the thing that the, is the hardest to remember is that you know, in the mayhem of, of growing children, there are going to be problems. But if you can, rather than come down like a ton of bricks on the kid, tell them how you are experiencing this moment. Let me tell you what, um, obviously it has to be age appropriate, but let me tell you what I'm feeling right now. I really want to help you, but you're screaming so loudly, I don't know how to do it. Can you tell me how to be with you right now? It's, you are enjoining the child. And, and in that, there's a connection made because you're being honest completely. It doesn't always work. But that
0: will not be forgotten. So the thing when you say that, the thing that I have as an experience with that, I have to create that pause. And I've learned I have to continue to create that pause before I react to something and say that child is doing something to me because they're screaming at me. And that has been my lifelong parenting thing. It's very hard. I'm I'm basically
1: telling you how to be there, but you have to do an awful lot of work on yourself first to learn how to catch the reaction before it goes into full tilt, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've learned that my kids are my mini mirrors and that is what I thought I was going to do when I was homeschooling or parenting at all.
1: Right. That's right. They are, they truly are mirrors. And so, one other thing, um, Teresa. If I can just pass this along to your listeners, this is this is a challenging lesson, but it is immensely helpful if you can do it. Whatever your child is doing that's driving you crazy, if you can, just like you said, take a pause and ask yourself, "How do I do what that child is doing right now
0: to uh-huh. myself
1: internally?" Because the, they are truly mirrors. And so they're showing you something about your own pattern with yourself. This is so hard, but when you get it, holy mackerel. I'm working with a woman right now who has a a child who she probably has ADHD. We're not quite sure, but the child will just go crazy sometimes and the mother doesn't know what to do she feels you know she gets overwhelmed and she tries to settle the kid down yes but she works herself up into this my child should not be acting this way right and so what i've been teaching her is how to bring herself back to calm and then the kid does the same thing because they're a reflection
0: yes exactly that's what you said is the world is not out there the world is in in you that's right yeah I did not know that solidly for the first at least 10 years. Probably mm-hmm. that's about when I picked up your book and a variety of other resources that were speaking the same message. Right. Um, are you familiar with Dr. Amon, Daniel Amen? I've heard of him, but I, I think I've seen a video of his, but I haven't um, studied him. No. A psychiatrist that focuses on brain health. And yeah. he was the first one to introduce me to the three questions that I don't believe originated from him but he uses them and he asks is what you're feeling true or what are you feeling is what you're feeling true are you 100% certain it's true and if there was an alternate perspective what could it be because there always is and how can you reframe this and um, those those questions Mm -hmm. with that approach I think originated from Byron Katie. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes, and and that content is like revolutionary because it really just says, just because you're feeling something doesn't mean it's real.
1: Right, we're hearing everything through our own filters. Yeah. And so what looks absolutely true, and it does, it looks absolutely true, but it's, it's actually, that's the world that you are seeing because of stuff that you haven't worked through in yourself. This sounds totally crazy and I that's know. How you started doing I this kind of work. Do. And then I'm like, but it's true. Right, right. But and it will look absolute. Obviously, it's about your husband. Obviously, it's about your kid. But what if it wasn't? What right. if this is showing you something? It's a mirror. The world is a mirror and it's showing you to you. One of the things that I use in my Presentations these days that I don't think I had done when um, I wrote *The Not So Big Life*. I say, think about a toddler who's in front of a mirror, and the toddler thinks there's a kid on the other side of the mirror, and so it rages at the mirror, and it's you know it's it's just livid that there's this kid doing things to it. Well, that's what we're living in. We're living in a hall of mirrors. And so every reaction we have, we can actually turn it around and learn something about ourselves. But we've got to let go of the idea that somebody's doing something to us. We've got to let go of the blame and take a deep breath and go, if I were doing something like this to myself internally, how might that be? Mm, Yeah. So internal judgments, for example, are a really good place to see this. You know, oftentimes somebody said, well, she's been judging me since the day I was, got on that job. And I said, well, if it's a mirror, how do you judge yourself in a similar way? And you can just watch and say, oh, my God, I do that all the time. Well, it's the mirror. It's showing you how you do that to yourself. And so you can start then working with where it actually can be shifted, which is how to notice
0: your own judgment and recognize they're not true which is the key. And what I've learned over and over is that this parenting thing, this homeschooling thing is not about what I'm giving to my kids or what I'm doing to my kids. It's actually just being alongside them.
1: Absolutely.
0: And that's the biggest gift you
1: can give to your children is to just be there. I mean, it sounds again, it sounds like, well, they're not going to learn anything. No, they learn the most important lesson
0: in life, which is how to be with whatever circumstances you're in, which affects everything they experience in their lives. In fact, I have to I have to share with you, you quote Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world and you have a discussion around that. I gave my daughter who just graduated on Saturday a card with that exact quote and she didn't know I was going to give it to her Uh and she used it in her speech at her commencement ceremony (laughs) and uh, truthfully I mean when I was in grade 11 and we had to read one of his books or a book about him a book about him I didn't read it because I wasn't an academic kid at the time I tried to watch the movie and watch Ben Kinsley do his thing but it was three hours so I didn't do that either So did the Cole's notes version and didn't get a lot from that reading until later on in life. And he has, his life was, I mean, everybody knows his name for a reason, but I'd love for you to share what you've learned. That's my favorite story. Yes. And
1: it's such an important one. Yeah. So the story goes like this, this is how this quote came out of his mouth. So he was he used to hold these huge audiences where people would come up with their problems and he would talk to them for a minute and, you know, say some, some wise words to them. And then they would go on. And a woman brought her young son to him and the kid was quite overweight. And the mother said to Gandhi, would you please tell my son to stop eating sugar and, you know, pastries and candy? Cause I can't seem to stop him from from gaining weight and Gandhi looked at the little boy and then looked at the mother and then said madam I want you to come back in a week and she looked at him and says that's it he says just come back in a week so she dutifully went away I think in the book I say two weeks I'm honestly not sure how long it was (laughs) The, the, the gist is that she came back a week later and she said gandhi will you now tell my son to stop eating all these sugary things and gandhi looked the little boy straight in the eye and he said to the kid son i want you to stop eating sweets and candy they're not good for you
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and then he you know just stopped and he was assuming they were going to go the mother said to him sir why the week?" you know, why couldn't you have told him a week ago to stop eating all this stuff? And uh, Gandhi said, Madam, a week ago, I didn't know if I myself could stop eating sweets and candy. (laughs) We must be the change we wish to see in the world. Mm. Now, it's so powerful because what he's telling her is, I can't, my words might be the same, but they have no effect On you or your son until I myself am able to do what I'm asking someone else to do right because it's a mirror because this world is a mirror so the very same words have no effect because you're being a fake essentially if you're asking somebody to do something that you yourself are not doing that's why it's so
0: important to embody what we believe And it's so much more congruent in our soul and our heart. And that's what you're doing. You know, you're, you're
1: making every effort to live sustainably, to help your children to grow into full, you know, integrated humans that have benefited from just learning from their whole environment.
0: Do you Um, know what I wanted to say, though, is that what you're saying is very similar to the quote, more is caught than taught. And It's categorically true. I I wish it weren't, though, but I have to tell you, Mm -hmm. and it's only that I absolutely did not do this with my children for a very long time. In fact, I still have moments where I'm not doing this. So I have these moments where I'm talking with someone, you know, another mom and sharing how to engage this discussion in their real lives. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, okay, so this is what I have to do. And, and I just say, okay, just so I want to let you know, you're not going to do it. Right. So Be released from the idea that you are able to do it because my children, my children, I, I am not at the top of this mountain. I love talking about this stuff because I know it's freeing and well, it's real. And this is where it's not about perfection. Yeah. And you know, a very common pattern in human
1: beings is that we think, oh, but I I didn't do this. So I've left my children with this legacy of all of my messes yeah but it doesn't work that way right strangely enough as you change the world changes with you right so your children will metamorphose before your eyes like the woman i was telling you about with the the child who has these fits of rage the Uh fits of rage are dissolving as the mother learns to deal with her own internal frustration at not being perfect Exactly it's really amazing but it's just and you can see it happening it's a f- reflection so for all of your listeners let go of the guilt you know I, I often quote um the poet Rumi I in, love you know, him yeah yes. in um, the not so big life yeah and he has a wonderful line he says let the guilt go it doesn't matter how long we've been unconscious let the guilt go You know, it's just, it's, that's the guilt is not going to help. It's, if anything, it makes it worse because then you feel disconnected. But if you allow yourself every moment you're learning, you know, then there's this aliveness that comes even from the things that seem to be going horribly badly, you're still learning in that moment. And so is, you know, the children, if, if the kids are in the middle of this too, yeah. Everybody is learning as you're able to just be there and acknowledging what you're feeling.
0: It's and a big, that is big such order. a beautiful reality yeah. if we are allowing it to be our reality. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. It's not about perfection. So you had shared about a story of a homeschool family in, yes. um, in your book. And it was, right. it was really interesting to me because yeah. your experience of them was that they were trying to create little geniuses or trying to create this perfect environment. And I'll, I'll confess, I was trying to put a private school in my home, in the first few years, and even though I thought I was walking into homeschooling, so I could have all the freedoms of homeschool and and <laughs> providing them an education and enjoying my family life, the reality, I was trying to create a private school at home and kind of had the similar energy to that family until I burned out and yeah. <laughs> realized I can't keep doing this. But then also your book and different people's writings really influenced me to think, wait. What what is an education, anyways? And you actually, I, I don't know what your thoughts are about how all of this affects an education or how we should actually customize or approach education. But I'm curious about your thoughts. Well, I think that that you know, just teach. Uh, let me tell you a little bit
1: about this family so that it, yeah. you know we we sort of have a sense of it. But they, the mother in particular really believed that she could manage her kids into um, at least their what she believed was their full potential, which really meant the full benefit of the IQ that they'd inherited from both parents. And so these kids were on a like a rat wheel of doing. Yeah. And the, I mean, I watched, and I was I was exhausted watching their lives. I just could not believe how many things were being required of these kids, and no downtime. Right. So, the the thing about schooling, whether it's in the home or whether it's when you when kids go to school, they need places where there's um, just exploration. Yeah. Just the time to discover. And I had an interesting um, educational mix in that I my first 14 years were in England, which was very regimented. We had you know we had a lot of exams and a lot of uh, discipline and we had to be a certain way. And then I moved to the United States, and interestingly, although we may not have this experience of this, of schooling in this country in the way that uh, I did, it seemed really lax to me. It was like the, it was a totally different experience. And I had all of this learned discipline from having been kept on a fairly regimented schedule. And i that's when I really started to write. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wrote earlier, but this was where I started to really engage writing as a, as something I did for fun and I I wrote two books when I was in high school because I didn't have a lot else to do my homework was done after an hour and I was used to three hours of homework <laughs> so, but but it was then it became my my way of exploring which I loved I mean it was just magical so I think our schooling process needs to understand yes there needs to be discipline at a certain level uh-huh. and structure, but then also there needs to be this place for discovery. Mm-hmm. And and that can happen in so many different ways, um, but it's, it's what children are geared up for if we
0: understand that that's the way that they grow. You know, I, I always go kind of meta when I'm talking about what is an education anyways, and I'm always thinking, let's start from, I don't know, age... Seventy. If we look backwards, and this is yeah. very cliche for our culture, but we're 70 years old and we finally get to retire and go golfing. Yeah. I don't golf, but anyway, go backwards a bit. And then you've got your, you know, regular trips to Hawaii or somewhere hot. And you've got your two-car garage, attached two-car garage home, and and you've got a double income and you've got options to buy what you want to buy. And you've got letters after your name, and maybe you've got a six-figure income. Then, before that, though, how did you get that? You either went to an Ivy League school or you went to whatever. You went to post-secondary school, and you had to get those letters. And before that, you had to get into post-secondary school. So you had to create an education to jump in the hoops to get into that. And my big question is, why? Right. Absolutely. What's the point? It's, it's right. There's a whole programming
1: of a uh, so, societally appropriate human that comes out at the end of that process, right. but not. You know, the life gets bled out of us often. There's actually. Do you know who Alan Watts is? No, he he was a British teacher of esotericism. Basically, he was oh. a mystic. And he has a short video, which I'll send you, which okay. exactly says what you just said. But he's Great. a wonderful teacher. He's, he was recorded a lot during his life. And so there are these wonderful, short teachings now all over the web. But um, You should post this one with your, with your recording of this I podcast because sure. it's exactly what you're talking about. He just shows how in life unless you understand what we're talking about in this podcast, people become more and more fit to a particular consensus reality notion of what a good life is. Right. But it's all kind of, um, it's, it's dead. It doesn't have the vibrancy that those little kids that you're teaching right now
0: have naturally, which is to explore their universe. And that is why I want to go back even in the beginning years, just like you said, the little kids or even the 18 year old graduate and say, yeah. are they doing the thing they should be doing right now? Right. And, you know, my just graduated daughter had a love for cooking. She had a love for uh, obstetrics. My husband uh-huh. delivered babies for a long yeah. time and, uh-huh. and also dance. And, And so we chat about all the path that she had in exploring those things. She also is a very naturally academic kid. So she was doing a ton of sciences and math and um, essay writing and all of that. But she did all of those things. But I only let her kind of go that direction. Or I should say that differently. I only really allowed that or facilitated that because that's who she was. Right. And, you know, I've got three other kids very different, but I think that we actually need to take your concepts of Mm -hmm. just being and use them in a way that actually allows us to also facilitate the actual child in front of us so that they can grow up and do the things they were meant to do, which obviously would make our entire culture shift if we could do that.
1: Hugely. And oftentimes with very bright kids, they're bored silly yes. I mean, yeah. that's another reason that homeschooling can be so wonderful for, for very bright kids. You can give them uh, a challenge, you yeah. know, like almost like a, a PhD question, but it's, you know, for a kid yes. and they can research the heck out of it. And they often excel far beyond people in the field that think they know the boundaries of that field because the child is unencumbered. They, nice. they are just eating
0: it all up. And asking a lot of questions. That's right. Exactly. So it's, um, I want to just switch gears for a minute because the very essence of what I refer to in our book or in my book, Homeschool Mama Self-Care is really about what you discuss. uh, All our conditionings define the thing we call our personality. The reality is that personality is not our friend. It evolves Uh to protect and defend our self-image. That's
1: right. This is, this is a huge, you and I could talk for years literally about this particular subject, but one of the things that we don't understand, and this is really what the not so big life at its core is pointing to is that we have many of us cultivated our personalities to be uh, either really wonderful or nice person or alternatively we are always judging ourselves and we can never live up to our notion of how we're supposed to be or a mother was a perfectionist and we're all messy and then we judge ourselves for being all messy all these different personality types live in a bubble of what we think we're supposed to be or not measuring up to what we're supposed to be and the point about the not so big life is that it's really showing that that is not who you are. Mm-hmm. That is a program. Actually, nowadays, I didn't use this word in the, in the book, but I call it the, the mechanism. The personality is literally, it's that mechanical. It, most people, when they first hear it, they go, oh, I don't like that feeling because they are identified with their personality right but personality is not who you are who you are is just this present moment this experiencing of now it doesn't require all of the baggage of the however many years you've been alive piling in to judge whether you're doing it right or not this moment which right. is what these personalities do they're really trying to keep keep us safe mm-hmm and that can come in all sorts of manifestations, but really they are like the bruises of a lifetime. They're the way that we've tried to avoid being hurt. Yes. And so that stuff, we're constantly looking for one part per million of, oh my God, that's going to hurt me. Yeah. And then we will pull in and we don't realize what's actually right in front of us because we're seeing it through that filter. So that's what a lot of what I teach and uh, what my workshops are, what my books are about are really that of seeing that the thing that you've identified with is an idea. It's not the truth of who you are. And that for many people just liberates them
0: from an enormous amount of baggage. That makes them work. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, for me, I in the past year or so have a fascination with Enneagram. Oh yeah. Are you familiar with that? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Sure. And I yeah. think there's obviously there's many different tools to mm-hmm. getting to the core of like, what are the reasons that you have a personality challenge in the way that you do right. um, for me, it speaks to core motivation mm-hmm. and you know, I'm a type two, I'm sure that's not surprising. But, you know, I very much want to help people. I want people to feel good and I want them to validate me. And that is really what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. And when you become aware of that, it's a little embarrassing. Like I was chatting with a mom mm-hmm. this week about her fourness and she, you know, identified with it, but didn't want to say it out loud or acknowledge it. And we don't need to go on a podcast and share what we are and share what our motivations are. But being aware for ourselves why we talk with people the way we do or engage or show up is exactly what you said. It's very freeing.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, so each of these things is a map. The, the Enneagram is a map. Yeah. Some of your listeners will know of Myers Briggs, and yeah. then you're, a, you know, I'm an INFP. <laughs> so there's these these meanings that come but the real point is to realize that all of them every last one of them are still a map and you are the you are experiencing that program right but you're not defined by it so that's the, the work that i do with uh, my students is really helping them to see that the things they've believed absolutely are simply a program. And once you, it takes a lot of work to real, you can't just push it away because the pushing it away actually pulls the opposite to you. So you, it's, this is all about just I use the word seeing through the programming, which means you're looking at it completely objectively. You're not saying, I should be this way or that way. You're just saying, oh, in this situation, Sarah always does this. You know, it's like, you're looking at yourself like your own specimen. <laughs> but that liberates you from being always having to do that thing.
0: Yeah, you it's, talk about being the watcher.
1: Yes, that's right, exactly. So you're literally observing yourself and that little bit of space that's built between who you've taken yourself to be And that observing awareness allows you to note what happens what the stimuli are for that behavior Uh and then you can try something different you know one of the things i say in my book is change one behavior just for a week just try it you know if you always wear black wear bright colors for a week because it's going to change a lot more than just the color of your shirt It's these patterns are habitual, but as you change one thing, the whole pattern changes.
0: And And this this all is quite profound. This all actually assumes that we are actually... Um, feeling our feelings. And Dr. Edith Eager talks about in her boy, uh, book, The Choice, that mm-hmm. first you got to feel to heal. Absolutely. She's a yeah. 16-year-old um, survivor of the Holocaust yeah. and um, is now a psychologist. And she, she says the first thing is to feel to heal. And a lot of people just want to say, yeah, but I don't want to feel that existential crisis in the middle of the night. I'll try to watch a YouTube video, or I don't know, do whatever. Is open. Yeah, there
1: is a, there is a, uh, a distinction. And I, again, I don't think this is in the book might be um, the difference between an emotion and a feeling. Mm-hmm. So an emotion is a feeling with a false attribution of meaning. So most people, when they hear the word feeling, they're actually thinking of an emotion and Uh it's the emotion that they're afraid of. You know, so for example, if you, I had nightmares when I was little. Uh And so I used to be terrified of going to sleep because when I went to sleep, then I would wake up in this absolute terror panic. And so sleep became issue for a while until i learned that it wasn't always that i actually worked with a a, a doctor that helped to unpack the meaning of going to sleep right you know but we this is just an example of we all deal with this stuff so yes when she when she talks about feeling she's really talking about allowing the experiencing noticing what meanings are being attached and letting go of those meanings because right healing okay. the healing yeah. is the healer the real actually allowing what you believe this is big works this this stuff because it, you feel like my god i'm gonna die if i uh-huh. feel this yeah but actually when you allow yourself to experience it
0: without the false attribution of meaning yes there's a kind of catharsis that can happen so I've often said, what is the thought behind the feeling? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, that's right. the part where you say, okay, what is the thought? And so you're yeah. kind of using the word emotion interchangeably with thought, the way that it's I actually the thought is the attributed meaning. Right. So Yeah. And that, the, yeah. And that is what those thought. are. Yeah, yeah, because sensing, as you're saying, feeling mm-hmm. is just in a normal human reaction. It's what happens when something happens, whatever the thing is, but how you attribute your meaning of that feeling. It's automatic. It
1: happened when you were two or three years old and it will play every time until you start to pay attention. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. Nobody's doing anything to you. You know, in the book I talk about that one situation where I was just paralyzed with fear and and I, I could tell I'm, I'm actually confronting a major fear right now. It was to do with people being angry at me. Uh-huh. And so yeah, sure. I was literally, I felt like I needed to just disappear. That's what it felt like. And as I allowed myself to experience this completely in the perfection of the mirror of how things work, in came a friend and he was, he was pissed off. <laughs> I got to go somewhere. And, but I was also aware, oh, this isn't true. I'm actually just experiencing that terror probably happened when I was very tiny, Yes. but I knew I was actually perfectly okay. But I was feeling it 100%. So this is, you're aware and you're fully experiencing the fear. And, and then here the- that moment, everything dissolved. I could just feel yeah. it like this at, Oh, right. It is. Yeah, it was huge. And, and everybody has the capacity to do this. But we don't know it. And so we avoid those scary feelings like the plague. And we construct our worlds to never feel those things.
0: But you know, what you're speaking actually is uh backed by neural research so all these things that we've been talking about i experienced them with different words with different people yeah. and and i will use different words that my listeners know um yeah. but it's all the same thing and it's backed by <laughs> neural research and it was refreshing for me to listen to dr caroline leaf's recent book mm-hmm. um about what's her book name uh I've listened to it every day for the last two weeks, <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes these things disappear. <laughs> and she probably can address that too. But she talks about going through the neurocycles. She uses the word neurocycle, but acknowledging wow. feelings. And if you want to change a habit or if you want to change a pattern, you can actually do it. And what we're talking about is heavy, heavy work, and it's not easy work. It's sure not <laughs> fun. That's for sure.
1: Everything will try to avoid it. Yeah
0: yeah exactly yeah yeah it's, but
1: it's, but this I think you know for your listeners to know that there are tools if yeah. you're you know somebody who's beleaguered by a particular pattern you really there are tools that can work help you to work through it but it requires first that you understand this is not who you are and it's mm-hmm. not true yeah exactly. that's the part that's that's huge so that can help and, you know, the the not so big life or the book you just uh, uh, mentioned, I'm sure can start to help you along that process. So along with Byron Katie's book too. Wonderful. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You actually say invite your inner nature to become a player in your outer life. That is so succinct. And so just hitting it straight on to what we're speaking to right now. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it's incredibly important. Your life changes when you do. It does change. You said mm-hmm. the only thing I can change is myself. And when I do, the rest of the world shifts simply because it now reflects the new version of me rather than the old one. That's right. That's it. It sounds so
1: simplistic, but it really works that way. It takes years to actually really, truly recognize it, but it's it does
0: work that way. So what would be a final thought that homeschool parents could take away from oh, I want to say everything that you share, but we're gonna have to do a few more podcast episodes to really share everything. But what would you say would be a final takeaway?
1: That your children will flourish and grow as you flourish and grow.
0: It's like you've
1: got to pay attention to yourself. You can't make your kids feel better until you feel better and so Mm -hmm. it's it's you are parenting yourself at the same time that you're parenting your children and it's it's so huge they are there to teach you and you're there to teach them and it's a dance and when it becomes a heavy burden nobody's winning but when it becomes um you know the just the 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 exploration of who you are yourself, using everything, every frustration, every reaction as food, rather than rejection, it's
0: it will change your whole life. I am so pleased to have met you and to learn from you. And, you know, it's interesting to me, you're sharing about parenting, and you have, you said you didn't have children. And really? you also spoke to me about homesteading, because somewhere along the way, you said something about composting. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I did my version of
1: of uh, homesteading a long, long time ago. <laughs> you,
0: you said that every piece of shit that comes into your world can become fertilizer. Fertilizer. That's right. Absolutely. It's so true. I am so pleased that our, our paths have crossed and so, so grateful that you've been able to spend time with me today and to really just to be with you and to share in the waking dream that is our present time.
1: <laughs> it's a, it's it's a pretty wonderful dream, isn't it? <laughs>
0: yes, it really is. It's very surreal for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to close our interview, I wanted to ask what's your present project focus or your vision for yourself? So oh, either direction. Well, I've got a new one. As of hey. about a week ago, you
1: know, I haven't written a book for quite a while. Yeah. And I've wanted to, but I couldn't find a publisher to get the gum board with what I was thinking of writing. And then just in the last few weeks, a new book has started to evolve. And it's actually about something that I think you will, uh, uh, understand. I have an incredible garden. It's, it's beyond my wildest dreams. You know, you, you have your, uh, Giverny of the, was it Giverny of the, the yeah, Yeah, well, I love Monet's garden so, so much. I I just adore (laughs) it. And, and I somehow ended up and married this wonderful man, my husband, who is also my teacher in many ways, and he helped me to learn about the garden and what the garden really is. Through making it out of a uh, field of brambles, wow, and we have transformed this place. And I realized over lo- the long haul, this garden has been my teacher in wow. an incredible way. You know, it's just it, the transformations, the way that as and the reflections. So as I've changed, the garden has changed. And the other day I was sitting in the garden. And I suddenly felt, this is like almost like a mystical experience, that the gift of this garden in the and my dear husband who has brought all of this into being through our dancing together. Right. And I realized what I want to write is about
0: the garden and its lessons. That and sounds so beautiful. It. I can't see so that many pictures. In. Yeah. It's I so- love Monet, obviously. Yes, I know we both do. So I mean, yeah. our parallels are really ridiculous. <laughs> it is really ridiculous. Uh, I think you even refer to that in your book. And many people do about this, um, when things kind of come together. Yeah,
1: at point. That's right. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So well, that's, I- that's why we're talking today. Because in my waking
1: dream, I start to think about Giverny and the meaning of Monet's garden, and then here comes this person who's going to interview me who has
0: a bed and breakfast with Giverny in the name. Which <laughs> you are most welcome to come visit me anytime, and uh, it would be beyond surreal if you were to stay at our bed and breakfast, because this house was built with all the principles of... I could see it. it's beautiful, it looks lovely. It's not matter. so small at all, and my husband said to me, "Do you really want to tell her about your house that was built on these principles? Because it's not that small." And I'm like, "But it's not about the size; it's, it's about not the- about the size. It's that's right. I have to tell people all the time:
1: don't worry about the square footage. It's more about the quality of space. Exactly. So, yeah."
0: So what would be the most important thing that you would want people to receive from all the things that you teach and you uh, write and speak on? What would be your legacy?
1: Mm. Just learning how to be present in really Mm. present in your life. And people think they know what that means. But to be able to show up, I mean, part I'm sure as people listen to this podcast, they're going to feel the energy between us because we're both here. Yeah. That doesn't happen by accident. It happens because you're able to show up. You're not trying to make it into something here we are or just us. Just well us. also I wrote here. three pages of notes, but there is that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you have to have a little guidance, but you know you're running the show. But it's but it's 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 a delight when you show up in your life no matter what's happening. Then it's a whole different ball game and to learn how to just let go of all of your ideas of
0: what's supposed to be happening and just be here it's that simple well it truly has been a pleasure to share this time with you likewise i hope we do it again (laughs) (laughs) and thank you for joining me today I would love to learn more about who you are, so come on over to our Facebook group, the Homeschool Mama Support Group, or the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Instagram page, so we can support and encourage each other in our homeschool challenges. While you're there, you can check out the book of homeschool encouragement, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Nurturing the Nurturer. If you're a homeschool mama looking for extra support, ask me about the Homeschool Mama Retreat. All the show notes and links of this episode will be found at www.capturingthecharmlife.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and post a review, because when you do, you help other homeschool mamas learn more about how to take care of themselves, to nurture the nurturer. Until next time, I hope you and your kids have a charmed week, and if you're having one of those days, I hope you can reframe your challenges into your homeschool charms.